I am an earth-centered pagan inspired by nature Unitarian Universalist. Many Unitarian Universalists like myself, we draw inspiration from the cycles of seasons, the beauty and complexity of the natural world, and the intricate relationships between humans and all the other life forms on this planet. Some of us practice indigenous religions and modern paganism. I'm I'm into secular paganism, by the way. All of these are part of the sixth source of our living tradition, spiritual teachings, I say spiritual, it's obviously secular, of earth-centered traditions which celebrate the sacred, in a secular sense, circle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. Secular sacredness, absolutely. Um, Interuniversalist services include writings, poetry, and ritual of earth-centered traditions. It's Yes, that's what I like about them. As allies and in indigenous peoples struggle for cultural survival, myself and others, we do not borrow indigenous practices and use them as our own. We respect um, indigenous religions as past and native peoples as spiritual, cultural, and neural, and we welcome those who practice, who practice them. In other words, we don't want to practice cultural assimilation and we don't want to practice cultural hijacks either. And then we welcome those who identify as pagans, including Wiccans, Druids, and practitioners of goddess spirituality. And it says the modern pagan movements have many Unitarian Universalists among them. And in some of our congregations have modern pagan groups within the Americanized chapter, the CEPS, the Covenant of Pagans. So yeah, the worship services, but it's basically a, a type of church that is not bound by one creed, one denomination, one religious text. It's nothing like that. It's a place where unconventional, non-traditional people whether they're faith-based or secular, come to congregate. There's more. Here we go. So, yes, I'm a pagan, as y'all already know. Paganism has its roots in the pre-Christian religions of Europe. Its re-emergence in Britain parallels that in other Western countries where it has been growing rapidly since the 1950s. The social infrastructure of paganism reflects the value that pagan community placed on our pagan, my pagan community, placed on unity and diversity. It consists of a network of interrelated traditions and local groups served by several larger organizations. In Scotland, the Pagan Federation acts as an educational representative body. Pagans understand deity to be manifest within nature and recognize divinities taking many forms by expression of gods as well as gods. Here's my interpretation of that. The concept of deity has been used in conservative theology to be literal. Ours is more of 
when we recognize the gorgeousness of nature, meaning the good parts of nature, the parts of nature that are robust for our health, our wellness, our quality of life, our uh, well-being, then we look at all the positives of life go, wow, that's what deity is. We don't worship positivity. We don't make positivity God. But we redefine deity as pagans and go, okay, this is something to um, to celebrate, you know, the positivities of life without making them reign over us. So that's how we define uh, deity, and that is also how we redefine divinity in those same ways as well. And uh, goddess worship is central paganism. Now, as you already know, I'm a secular pagan, so I I I don't um, bow down to religious. Um, I recognize that I converse with the God in me. The God in me is the good in me, the beauty, the positivity. So I have regular, I stimulate that. That's what I mean when I say I have conversations with them. And so I don't do any religious worship because. Um, that is how um, you have people who are either communicated or excommunicated, and I don't want to fall into those traps. Okay, then it says, Pagans believe that nature is sacred, and that the natural cycles of birth, growth, and death observed in the world around us carry profoundly spiritual meanings. So what does that mean? Um, for me, it truly, truly means that um, the word spiritual and sacred for me, I secularize those words, meaning sacred is important, spiritual is inner life, bam, all right? Human beings are seen as part of nature, along with other animals, trees, stones, plants, and everything else that is of this earth. Most pagans believe some form of reincarnation through death is a transition continuing process of existence. Okay, I've secularized the meaning of reincarnation. I look at reincarnation as the legacy that you live behind. I can be a men I can actually be a wise sage to people even though I'm no longer physically on earth. Even in death, my being a wise sage never ends because I can still be of the impartation of wisdom that positively impacts people even though my physical life has already come to an end. That's how therapeutic my wisdom is. 
Then it says attitudes to healthcare staff and illness. Most pagans like myself have a positive attitude towards healthcare staff and are willing to seek medical help and advice when sick. That would be me. That, those all fit me. Religious practice. Most pagans worship the old pre-Christian gods and goddesses through seasonal festivals and other ceremonies. Because I'm a secular pagan, I don't do those things. But I still um, get along well with pagans, whether they are faith-based or secular. Then it says observance of these festivals is very important to pagans and those in the hospital who generally wish to celebrate them in some form. Uh, that's what the faith-based pagans. As there are many diverse traditions within paganism, you should ask individual pagans if they have any special requirements. Some pagans may wish to have a small white candle or a small figure of a goddess in their locker. And again, these are what faith-based pagans do because I'm a secular pagan. I don't really need to uh, diet. Reps believes that most pagans strongly prefer foods derived from organic farming and free-range livestock rearing, while many are vegetarian or vegan. I, I love vegetables, and in from time to time I eat vegan food, and um, from time to time I eat organic farming food, and you know, from time to time I eat free-range livestock rearing type food too. I eat a well-balanced diet, so I eat. A healthy amount of everything. I don't just have one particular diet. I my diet is that well balanced. Let me keep going. Fasting. There are no organized fast days, but some pagans use the fast in preparation for Ostara, spring equinox. Um, I feel like I have tried fasting before, and. The highest I've ever got was three days. I did it in college every month, but at one point I just stopped altogether because the headaches, the, even though I ate uh, a diet where I didn't starve myself, my body just like, you need to eat your usual well-balanced diet. So that's why, because fasting for too long is, my body is just not up to par with that. But I will fast. But two, three days is my limit. Maybe several hours and then I'm done. So I fast two nights. And this is washing and toilet. Washing and toilet present no unusual problems with pagans. Yes, I have excellent toilet hygiene. I have excellent washing hygiene. I have excellent personal grooming. And I have excellent personal hygiene. And then it says ideas of modesty and dress. There are no particular points to be noted in this area. Few pagans would object to being examined by doctors of sex or just any sex that just, you know, sometimes the term opposite sex really drives me pointers because um, it makes it seem like y'all are arch nemesis. No. And plus, it's very heteronormative. So I don't mind being examined by doctors regardless of their sexual orientation, gender identity, and sex characteristics. That's just me. Um, so I dress well and I dress appropriately at work. At home, it's obviously a different story when I'm by myself for five minutes. 
let's just say intimate situations within our intimate settings. Now, death customs. Most pages believe some form of reincarnation or death is a transition within a continuing process of existence. For me, I also look at reincarnation as you live on in the hearts of the people that you were damn good to in life. And then it says, pagans accept, pagans like me accept death as a natural part of life and will wish to know when they are dying so they may consciously prepare for it. Um, I think with people, most people, when your body starts to give out, you know when you're dying. And so, I don't live a life of morbidity, as, as obviously. But I look at it this way. I, I prepare to live. That's also why when I die, I'm already prepared for it because I choose to live for instead of die for so what that means is I choose to enjoy life instead of at any second I could die soon that's how I individuals may ask for ritual as soon as possible after death uh, personally for me I would just say hey you know people have the right to do those things, I'm more, I just want to be around all my loved ones when that time comes. Not anytime soon, thankfully. Birth customs. As paganism celebrates life, birth is viewed as sacred and empowering. Pagan women will wish to make their own informed decisions regarding prenatal and neonatal care. I think those things are awesome. And sacred to them is they want to give birth. They want to produce uh, a generation that changes life for the better. That's what that means. Family planning. Pagans will generally plan pregnancies and use contraception appropriate, which I think is awesome. And the whole pagan women and their informed decisions regarding neonatal care, I think that is just outstanding. And it says, Paganism emphasizes women control of their own bodies and the way the decisions related to abortion are seen as a personal matter for the woman concerned will be supported in the choices she makes. Yes! That all awesome, all awesome, I repeat. Blood transfusions, transplants, and organ donation. So, most pagans have no objection to blood transfusion. They receive transplants and donate organs to transplant. That is so cool. I'm really glad that I'm a secular pagan and that I practice secular paganism. I really am. And how should I say that? I'm cooking <laughs> with grease. <laughs> But, um, I want to say these two things very quickly. I ethically indulge in an ethical series of ethical, casual, 
sexual relationships without committing myself romantically to anyone. In other words, I am ethically permissive on camera when it comes to my future adult film career and off camera in my everyday life as well. In other words, I will say yes to every ethical sex opportunity with every humane human that crosses my path. And these and these and it will all be enthusiastically sane, enthusiastically consensual, enthusiastically safe, enthusiastically trustworthy, enthusiastically equal, enthusiastically equitable, enthusiastically respectful. It will all be positively brisk informed and wonderfully trauma I pursue them and they pursue me. We pursue each other equally. We are into each other as people and because our integrity and our temperance personality and our substantive effectiveness as noble characters shines through brightly that's why we are ethical sex symbols to each other. <sighs> Let me keep going. So, this is what it says. Humanist Common Ground Buddhism. So, I am a, I, this is the American Human Association. It says, Good Without a God. And I am an atheist, Unitarian Universalist. It says, Humanist Common Ground Buddhism. A brief overview of the history of Buddhism. I'm going to just read it to you. Buddhism was believed to have started in India by Siddhartha, Siddhartha Gautama. Siddhartha was born around the 5th century BCE to a tribal chief of a clan in southern Nepal. According to Buddhist literature, it was prophesied that he would become a king if he stayed at home for a great sage and the savior of humanity if he left. I want to reiterate that um, before I go any further, it is my responsibility to clarify what I mean when I read these things to you. So to be honest with you, I am a Buddhist humanist. I'm a secular Buddhist and a humanistic Buddhist. Secular Buddhism is a non-dogmatic way of understanding and practicing Buddhism. 
secular Buddhism takes a pragmatic approach to explain and apply Buddhist teachings and is based on humanist values. I practice slash teach secular Buddhism because it makes the most sense to me. I don't practice any religion. I don't do conservative theology. Humanistic Buddhism has been described in a Wikipedia review as focusing on caring for the living, working for the benefit of others, compassion, altruism. It is concerned with issues of the world rather than on how to leave the world behind. It is concerned with benefiting others rather than oneself. It is an essentially optimistic belief in the core dignity of humans and their ability to transform themselves in a positive way. Similarly, Buddhist humanism is described also in the Wikipedia review as a philosophical perspective based on the inherent dignity of all humans, their interdependence in creating harmony through relationships expressed through actions that contribute to the welfare of society, human rights, world peace, and social justice. Now let me tell you, I, now that I've shared all the things about me, now let me talk to you about more of the overview of Buddhism. Siddhartha's his father did not want his son to leave home because he wanted his son to be a king and follow his footsteps. As the story goes, Siddhartha grew up surrounded by riches, luxury, and newly pleasures. He lived in palaces and was shielded from any pain or ugliness by his father so that he would not experience any suffering. But Siddhartha became restless with his life of luxury. He wondered what else where there was to life and demanded to see the outside world. His father gave him to his demand and allowed him to see the outside world, yet he tried to limit his experiences with others to young and healthy people. That is not what happened. Wow. I appreciate how he understood that he was supposed to have a beautiful effect on people, but he was into minimalism like I am and simple living like I am too. According to the story, during his travels in the outside world, Siddhartha came across four sites that left a lasting impression on him. One, since he had never seen older, decrepit people before, he was shocked when he came across an old man. Two, when he was trying to find out more about old men, he stumbled upon a very ill person. This is even more shocking as he had never known or seen illness before. Number three, then he saw a funeral party by the side of a river. This too was new and most shocking of all for him. Number four, lastly, encountered a traveling monk who had given up all the pleasures of the flesh. His face was so serene that the image stayed in Siddhartha's thoughts for a long time. Wow. So he was trying to understand health consciousness, but he was, and this means talking off, talking off the top. He was noticing all the extremities that people can do with health consciousness, and that is clearly unhealthy. Any health expert will tell you that whether they're Buddhists or not. Um, and to never noticing illness before, that is profound. Because I can't think of a person who has not experienced illness where I have. You know, the seasonal flu, what have And you don't have to give up all the pleasures of the flesh. Just be responsible, accountable, and ethical about it. And then it says, Siddhartha is said to have learned some simple truth from when he had been shielded. We all get sick, grow old, and die. That's true. 
He decided to abandon his previous life and devoted himself to working out a way to end suffering. That is noble of him. His initial method was to emulate the traveling monk, deny all pleasure, follow a life of extreme asceticism, which is clearly a high degree of unwholesomeness. But this state of being nearly killed him, told you. What saved him was that one day he heard someone speak about the strings on the musical instrument. If a string is too tight, it will break and be ruined. If it is too loose, you cannot make beautiful music. Siddhartha applied this to his own existence and formulated the idea of the middle way, which I practice. Do not deny the physical body totally, and yet do not live life to recklessly indulge the body's every whim. Hmm, I live by that too. Siddhartha meditated on this for some time and eventually came to an understanding of the concept of enlightenment, which I am a practitioner of. After this became known as Buddha or the Enlightened One, wow, I'm a, I am my own Buddha and I am an Enlightened One. Eventually, he started teaching his philosophy and gained a large following. After going through a life of self-denial, discipline, and meditation, he is said to have attained enlightenment, which resulted in alleviation of his pain and suffering. That's what I am currently undergoing on a daily basis. You know, yes, I do self-discipline. I do self-control. I do meditation. I do those things well. I don't deny myself. However, I do place and set firm, healthy boundaries upon myself. And, it, and others as well. Um, he then embarked on a journey of teaching others the path that would liberate them from the cycle of life and death. Ooh, this is so, this is just so wonderful. Gradually, Buddhism spread to numerous countries. The original Indian foundation was expanded by the inclusion of Central Asian, East Asian, Southeast Asian cultures. Today, Buddhism has spread to almost all the countries of the world with the population of Buddhists estimated to be around 500 million. The largest population is in China, while Thailand, Cambodia, and Myanmar have the highest proportion of Buddhists in their population. Buddhism also is becoming more widely practiced in America, Australia, and the United Kingdom. I practice Buddhism in a way that is of universality, oneness, where all versions and expressions of each other and human. We all have an interdependent interrelation with one another. We're all inextricably connected. That's what I feel. Although there are many divisions or schools within Buddhism, there are two main branches which differ in some areas of focus. Theravada Buddhism focuses on individual enlightenment experience as well as monastic life. Mahayana Buddhism focuses on collective freedom from suffering and teaching the ways to enlightenment. Zen and Tibetan Buddhism, both considered offshoots of the Mahayana tradition, are the two types of Buddhism most people in Western countries practice. And um, I practice secular Zen Buddhism. The key principles 
of Buddhism. Buddhism is different from many other faith traditions that it is not centered on the relationship between humans and a high God. Buddhists do not believe in a personal creator God. In a sense, then Buddhism is more than a religion. It is a tradition that focuses on personal spiritual development. To many, it is more of a philosophy and a humanistic way of life, which can be summed up as striving to lead a moral life, not in a preachy or churchy way. So that fits me. Being aware of one's thoughts and actions, that fits me. And developing wisdom, compassion, understanding, that fits me. And then it says, um, by the way, my secular Buddhism is not a religion. Um, the key principles which are briefly outlined are below. Buddhism's four noble truths, the eightfold path in the middle way. Ooh, I'm so happy about this. The four noble truths are for those seeking enlightenment and refuge from suffering. In brief, they are number one, suffering exists. That's true. Two, suffering arises from attachment desires. In certain cases, that's true, but not all cases. And number three, suffering ceases when attachment to desire ceases. Well, some cases that's true, and not, not, not all cases, because it's more about how you treat your desires. So attachment desires is not bad. If you're unethical about it, that's how you get unethical suffering. That's what they're talking about. Number four, freedom from suffering is possible by practicing the Eightfold Path. Well, even if you practice the Eightfold Path, you're not completely free of suffering, but you're completely free from allowing suffering to turn you into a recklessly indulgent human being. That's inhumane to yourself, not Then it says the Eightfold Path is expressed as the road to the secession of suffering into enlightenment for the purpose of personal happiness and the happiness of all others. They are number one, right view slash right understanding. I do that. Number two, right thought slash right intentions. I do that. Number three, right speech. I do that. Number four, right actions. I do that. Number five, right livelihood. I do that. Number six, right effort. I do that. Number seven, right mindfulness. I do that. And number eight, right concentration. I do that. This path is usually divided by Buddhist practitioners into three sections. The wisdom section comprising of right understanding and right intentions, I do that. The morality section comprising of right speech, right actions, and right livelihood, I do that. And the mental development section consisting of right efforts, right mindfulness, and right concentrations, I do that. I apply all these, I apply the four noble truths, the eightfold path, and the middle way, even into my sex life on camera and off camera. I, I repeat, I apply Buddhism's Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, and the Middle Way to my sex life on camera and off camera. And I apply the three sections of Buddhist practices that they divided into. I apply the Wisdom section, the Morality section, and the Development section. I apply all those sections and all those qualities of those sections in my sex life on, on camera and off camera. Okay, here we go. Volumes have been written about the principles of Buddhism by numerous scholars and spokespersons. The following three brief illustrations reflect on the various components of the Buddhist perspective which relate to humanism. So Paul Chiariello, assistant coordinator and webmaster at the Humanist Chaplaincy at Rutgers University, has written that Buddhism and humanism are two geographical sides of the same philosophical coin. 
They're twins with the same DNA separated at birth and brought up by different parents. Buddhism is Western humanism, and humanism is Western Buddhism. Wow. I always knew that there is correlations of types of this of a school of thought. So there's schools of thought within a primary school of thought. Subsection. He maintains that both have a common core and contrast to other worldviews concerning reason and compassion, which I'm all in favor of. For humanism, reason always has been the summum bonum, the highest good. I see that. I feel that. With regard to compassion, he cites humanist manifesto number three. The life stance of humanism, guided by reason, inspired by compassion, informed by experience, encourages us to live life well and fully. He also asserts that empathy is a central concept in both Buddhism and humanism, and quotes what he termed a popular humanist notion. If you can't determine right from wrong, you lack empathy, not religion. I strongly agree. I want to say this on record. I apply well Buddhism's Four Noble Truths, Hateful Path, The Middle Way, The Wisdom Section, The Morality Section, and The Mental Development Section when it comes to all areas of my life. Every last one. Dr. Victor A. Ganas. Sakara, in his book, Basic Buddhism, Modern Introduction to Buddhist Teachings, the third edition of 107, affirms that Buddhism has an affinity with Western notions of humanism and rationalism. He asserts that if humanism means what it should mean, that is the primacy of the humanist against the divine, then it, confirms to, then it conforms to the Buddhist approach. Dr. Ganham Aparayao, which, wow, if humanism means what it should mean, then it's the primacy of the humanist against the Fine. Conform to the Buddhist approach. So rationalism and humanism are what we would define as divine for ourselves. Neat. And religion can't make you empathetic. You have to make yourself that. Dr. Gethem Aparao, retired professor of magic in first India, in writing about the humanism of Buddha, stated that. Watama Buddha was a humanist par excellence, like me, <laughs> and that people are responsible for their conduct and progress, I agree. Buddhism thus makes humanity the central figure in all that affects human life. Buddha, uh, wow. I apply that to myself. I don't apply it to everybody else, that's just me. My secular Buddhism thus makes humanity the central figure in all that affects human life. Buddha preached kindness and pity for all life and formulated constructive methods for progress and happiness of all in human society. That is amazing. Of course I want to get back to something. I just got to say it. I just got to say it. When it comes to my sex life on and off camera, I apply well 
right views, right understandings, right thoughts, right intentions, right speech, right actions, right livelihood, right efforts, right mindfulness, right concentrations. So now you know what I mean when I said that. Oh, let me keep going. <laughs> Another principle of Buddhism is the middle way, which implies a balanced approach to life and the regulation of one's impulsive behavior. That's me. That's absolutely me. Buddhism itself is sometimes referred to as the middle way, indicating reconciliation of the extremes of opposing views. In the broadest sense, the middle way refers to the actions or attitudes that will create happiness for oneself and others. Wow, those definitions fit who I am. In many ways, it is similar to the humanist perspective that recognizes that reason and rationality should be balanced with empathy and compassion. I strongly, wholeheartedly agree. Wisdom and compassion. Buddhism often is explained not as something one believes, but as something one does in order to develop wisdom and compassion. The central tenet of Buddhism is that wisdom and compassion are inextricably linked. They, are, they too are two sides of the same coin. The Buddha taught that to realize enlightenment, a person must develop both qualities. Wisdom and compassion are sometimes compared to two wings that work together to enable birds to fly, or two eyes that work together to enable one to see more clearly. These are not principles as such, but rather deeply humanistic qualities that one works to develop. These all fit me so, so well. Wisdom is to directly see and interpret for oneself to keep an open mind. To listen to other opinions rather than being closed-minded. To carefully examine facts that contradict one's convictions rather than burying one's head in the sand. The objective rather than practice. To take time forming opinions and beliefs rather than blindly accepting what is offered to us. Always being ready to change one's beliefs when facts or truth that contradicts them are presented to us. That's how I feel. I, I always have value all those things. Compassion is both an attitude and an action. It includes the qualities of sharing, readiness to give comfort, showing concern, caring, having a kind heart, being generous and helpful to fellow beings, respecting all lives while being mindful of one's actions and words. Hmm, those are my actions. When we see someone in distress and feel their pain, if it were our own, and strive to eliminate or lessen their pain, this is compassion. All of the best in human beings and all the Buddha-like qualities like sharing, readiness to give, comfort, empathy, concern, and caring are all manifestations of compassion. Those, these are also attributes with all attributes with me too. As noted, much has been written about the principles of Buddhism by numerous scholars and spokespersons. We conclude this section with a reference to the one written by the Dalai Lama in Awakening the Mind, Lightning the Heart. Core teachings of Tibetan Buddhism are for example, wow, I am a secular Tibetan Buddhist. Okay, I am. The book is his thought-provoking perspective of how compassion is developed in practice. We have selected several highly relevant passages from the book which illustrate this central humanistic principle of Buddhism. The awakening mind is the inspiration to achieve enlightenment and sense of others. Wow. That fits me. We cultivate the awakening mind by resolving to work for their all sentient beings' well-being. 
that fits me, compassion, the state of mind that comes about when we focus on the sufferings of others in and cultivate a strong wish that they be free from such suffering. That fits, that all fits me. So that was page 107, page 55, page... Okay. And page 123, whichever way you do it, the practice of taking with compassion, the practice giving with love, give rise to the special resolve to free all beings from suffering, at least the awakening mind, page 123, that all fits me. It is important that development of the qualities of compassion should be augmented by wisdom. The development of the qualities of wisdom should be augmented by compassion. Compassion and wisdom should be practiced in combination with page 148. That all fits me too. Then it says, uh, right? <laughs> and so I decided I'm going to stop here and I'm going to make this A part two, because there is no need to rush at all.